Well, good evening, City Light Church. How are you guys doing tonight? Well, so good to, to have you in the room. Thank you for being here tonight, and thank you, families, kids that are in the room. We're so glad that you are here. My name is Phil, one of the pastors here. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to John chapter 19, verses uh, 16 through 37. That's where we're going to be tonight. And tonight we're looking at the account, uh, of John's account of the crucifixion. This day, nearly 2,000 years ago, this day that Jesus went to the cross and he bore the sins of humanity so that we could have a right relationship with God. This week is uh, Passion Week. It's the week uh, of Jesus, where how he demonstrated his love and passion for us. And last week, we, uh, we remember that Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and the people were, were praising him. They had palm branches and they were singing out, Hosanna, and they were looking for Jesus to take his rightful place as king, as this political ruler, as this earthly uh, king. And yet they didn't understand fully all that Jesus had come to do and all the implications that that meant. And they were the very same people that just a few days later were so quickly swayed to stand there with the crowds and cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And so on Good Friday, tonight, today, we remember the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. We remember all that Jesus has done for us, his life, his death that was poured out for us. And you can see the image of the cross. And it's here because it is central to our faith in Jesus Christ. It is a, is a picture reminding us of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us on our behalf. And it is really sobering to think about all that Jesus has done for us. Jesus has suffered greatly for us. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was whipped. He had a crown of thorns driven into his skull. And then he had the nails pounded into his wrists and to his feet. And then he took the wrath of God on himself. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could be in a right relationship with the all-powerful God who loved us enough to send his one and only son to die for us. And yet in this passage, we see that the, the writer John, the disciple, Jesus' beloved disciple, he's not writing this to, to give us the details of the crucifixion, but this narrative is focusing on the fact that Jesus finished the work his father sent him to do. See, Jesus knew his purpose. He knew that he came to go to the cross at Calvary to accomplish his mission. And I think about our lives as human beings on this earth and the questions that we ask ourselves, the questions about God, about relationships, about, about meaning, about purpose. And I remember being a young kid and growing up in the church and asking this type of question. You know, what, why am I here? What is my purpose in this life? I struggled with identity and purpose. How many of us have struggled with this question? What is my purpose in this life? Okay, there's only three people. I think everybody should be raising their hand because that is a common question. One of the greatest questions that we ask ourselves is, what is our, what is our purpose? You know, when I grew up playing sports, I, I played football and I ran track. And I thought, hey, my life exists. I, I exist to play sports. And then I uh, walked on to play football in college. And I tore my ACL for the second time and I quickly realized, okay, this is not my purpose. 
This is not my purpose. God got a hold of my life. And then after the third ACL reconstructive surgery, I found out even more so that this is not my ultimate purpose. And sometimes I still think it is. And my, my wife has to continually remind me, no, like you've got to slow down. Stop. After my third uh, surgery, uh, I sat down with my physical therapist and he said, listen, he told me very strictly, you cannot do this anymore. You cannot play basketball. You have to stop. And I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, yep, mm, I don't, yeah, probably not going to happen. <laughs> you know, and so I don't listen very well. I still play. I still beat up my body. And it's a reminder that that is not my purpose. And I share that because all of us have purpose in this life. We all have purpose questions and issues that we're wrestling with. And we're wondering, what is the will of God in my life? But I want to tell you that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he did not wrestle with these questions. He did not wrestle with these questions. He knew. He was fully man and fully God. And yet he knew his identity as the Son of God. He knew his identity and he knew that the Father sent him so that he would lay down his life for us. See, there wasn't a question in his mind about his identity or his purpose. He was fully aware of what the Father sent him to do and he wasn't surprised by it. He didn't fight against it. But he voluntarily laid down his life and took the punishment that we deserved. And we can see this very early on in Scripture and I want to show you this from... um, Isaiah chapter 53, this is 700 years before the crucifixion took place. 700 years. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, it says this. The word should be up on the screen. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned Every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then he goes on to say this in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. See, this is directly talking about the father who poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus, bearing the weight of the sin of the world. See, church, Jesus knew what he came to do. And the Gospel of John makes that very clear. There's a couple verses I want to show you. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then we also see in the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus was praying on the Mount of Olives. In Luke twenty two forty two, 42, he says this. He's praying, Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus certainly experienced the weight of what was about to happen. There was anxiety. He was sweating drops of blood because the emotions were so intense. Why? Because the father was about to turn his back on his son. And Jesus said, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus came into this world with a definitive purpose, and that was to go to the cross. In the Gospel of John, he writes this passage with a very clear purpose. He wants us to see that the scriptures are fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And he writes the Gospel of John, this whole book, 
this narrative, at the end of it, he writes these things. He says, I write these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. And church, I want us to see that the work Jesus came to do was finished on the cross. Just as he uttered his last words, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. He did this to fulfill the scripture. And he died the death that we deserve, the innocent one for the guilty, so that we could have life in him. And he didn't turn his back on us. Even knowing that the wrath of God was going to be poured out on him, he willingly fulfilled God's promised promise plan to redeem and to restore his people from the very beginning. See, Jesus came to accomplish a very clear purpose. And he came with a purpose so that we could actually have purpose in this life. This is, this is true. You cannot find your purpose. You cannot find real purpose outside of Jesus Christ fulfilling his. And tonight I have true truths from this passage that I want to emphasize. And the first one is this. Number one, Jesus was crucified as the true king. Jesus was crucified as the true king. Look again with me at verses 16 through 22. It says, So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Again, John doesn't give us a lot of details about the crucifixion. But we know from Roman history that before the people were led out to be crucified, they were beaten and they were scourged, and Jesus was no exception. And in the Roman Empire, crucifixion was the ultimate execution by torture. And it was reserved for the very worst criminals, the very worst offenders. And here we have Jesus, who's innocent. And after being severely scourged and beaten, Jesus is forced to carry his cross. To carry the crossbeam on which he would stretch out his arms. And John, John's account tells us that, in fact, Jesus did carry his cross until he was so utterly exhausted that Simon of Cyrene had to step in and carry the cross the rest of the way, just as the other gospel accounts tell us. And then Jesus was nailed to the cross. Six to eight inch nails were driven through his wrists, were driven through his feet as he put one on top of the other. And imagine more like railroad spikes, wrought iron, piercing through his flesh. And his arms were stretched in just the right position so that it would be difficult to breathe. And the only way to breathe would be able to push your, push your weight up by your feet so that you could get a breath. And it was a torturous process just to breathe. And it was intended that way so it would be a slow death. In fact... In that time, people would, some people would stay on the cross, hanging there for days, three or four days. This is what Jesus suffered for you and for me. It was horrific, and it was awful, and yet it was the will of God. 
And so the custom was to put an inscription of the crime committed. And so uh, on the cross, and these two criminals had their crimes listed. They were guilty. And they had their crimes listed. And Pilate, what he doesn't do is he doesn't write down on the inscription, blasphemy, or that he claimed to be God. But Jesus was innocent. And Pilate writes the inscription, gives him his rightful title, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was likely in three languages. It was in three languages, so it would appear that this was appeared as fact. And likely everybody in the crowd was able to read it. And listen, we don't know the motive why Pilate did this. We don't know if he was trying to get at the Jews or not, but it demonstrated what it demonstrated that was God was fulfilling his plan through sinful, broken men to accomplish his plan and his purposes. See, this passage reveals God's sovereign hand at work in this very moment on the cross. God was in control of every single detail leading up to this moment. Jesus was led to the cross to finish the work, and he was identified rightly as king. And of course, Jesus is king, but he's not the kind of king, and he's not the earthly ruler that these people were looking for. They wanted an earthly king, a political leader. But Jesus is a divine king. He has all authority and all power. And he says this about his own life in John 10, 18. He says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Additionally, no divine king would be able to say this after he tells Peter to put down his sword, after Peter swung his sword in anger and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear the night that Jesus was betrayed. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Do you not think I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. See, Jesus is king. He has authority over everything. And the religious leaders were not happy about the title that was given. In fact, they're protesting that that Pilate changed it. Changed the name on the inscription because they think that Jesus was out of his mind, that he was just this man that was out of control, that was causing an, uh, an uprising. They didn't, they didn't want to see him as, the, as the, the, the king, the promised one. He fulfilled all of scripture. But Pilate, I love what Pilate says. He said, hey, what's written is written. It's written down. Like, it is what it is. Get over it. Deal with it. But they're enraged. And they're completely miss what, what is about to happen. Standing in front of them is King Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the very one that they should be celebrating during this Passover week. And yet, through their actions, they're helping fulfill the plan of God. Somehow they miss the very one the Scriptures were talking about all along. And they're simultaneously and unknowingly fulfilling God's promise. See, God did whatever it took, even using the hardened hearts of the Pharisees. And I would just ask you tonight, what posture are you coming in with tonight? Is it like that of the Pharisees? Are you blind toward the things of God? Have you hardened your heart toward God? Is there something right in front of you that you've been missing all along? I don't know where your heart is. I don't. But I do know this, that God loves you. God loves you, and he loved you enough to send his only son to die on that cross for you. 
And that was demonstrated for us, all of us. And when we think about that amazing love, that is so incredibly humbling. We do not deserve that. I mean, you think about an earthly ruler or an earthly uh, political leader. What do they have in common? All of them are self-centered, they're egocentric, and they would never go to the length that God went for us. They would never pull out of the stops like God did for us. And yet we want to put our hope in them. People want to put our hope in these leaders. What? That's crazy. God is the only hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope. And I want you to think about this. Do you really understand this love? Do you really comprehend the depth of the love that God has demonstrated for us? It is an incredible love that he's poured out. An incredible love. And it is truly humble humbling when we think about it. Because he had every right, he had every power, he has all authority, and for a moment, he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is an amazing love. See, Jesus is king of the Jews. He's king of Israel. He's king of all the ages. He's king of heaven. He's king of glory. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And he is sovereign king over all the universe. That is my king. Has God given you eyes to see that Jesus is king? Has God opened up your eyes to see this reality? He is matchless. He is full of mercy and grace. And his greatest act of love was demonstrated on the cross. And listen, unless the Holy Spirit breaks into your life and opens up your eyes to see this truth, you will be just like the Pharisees. And so if the Spirit of God is moving in your hearts tonight, if the Spirit of God is, is stirring something inside of you, Can I just tell you and invite you to act on that, respond to that, because God wants you to experience his love in a real way. He wants you to trust that Jesus is the true king. The second truth I want to emphasize tonight is this. Jesus was crucified to fulfill his purpose. Jesus was crucified to fulfill his purpose how many of us have been disappointed by somebody that said they were going to do something and they didn't follow through with it? Maybe, you know, it was a, a no-show to a date or an appointment. Maybe, maybe it was a promise that was made by a parent and that w- was broken. Maybe you've been on the other side of that and you didn't follow through on the, the promise and the commitment that you made. My mom is here tonight uh, visiting from New Mexico. And she gave me permission to, to share this story uh, to really throw her under the bus, okay? So I love you, Mom. Thank you. Um, I was seven years old at this time, and uh, we, were, we were living in a small mountain town in Colorado in Glenwood Springs. And I was, the year before, I had learned how to ski. And I was really excited this year about going down the Blue Run. It's like medium difficulty, and so I'm really excited, but my brother's with us, and he's a better skier than I am, and he wanted to go down all the black runs, all the black diamonds, very difficult. And so I'm begging, I'm pleading with my mom, please, like, I, I just want to go down this one run. I think I can do it. I want to go. Let's, like, promise me you'll go. And so she said, she, she said yes, of course, I agree, I, I promise. I'm just going to take your brother down this run first, and then, you know, so go down at the lift, and I'll just wait for me there. It won't take too long. 
And so I ski down this easy run, and I'm waiting at the bottom of the ski lift. And I'm waiting, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited 45 minutes. And then finally my mom and my brother show up, and by that time, it was late in the afternoon, and the ski resort, the ski lifts were closed. And as a seven-year-old kid, I just remember being sorely disappointed. I was, I was devastated. And I, my mom fe- felt horrible at the time, and uh, I'm sure she still does, which she should. <laughs> um, so, okay, I'm just kidding. I love you. Okay, now I know my mom is not the only one that's, that's done this before, right? We've all experienced this. But for maybe, maybe it is something more serious. Maybe you've experienced wedding vows that have been broken. Maybe you've experienced an engagement that broke off. Maybe you've had a mom or dad that's promised you something, promised to spend more time, promised to stop drinking too much, promised this or promised that, but then followed through with their promise. And I don't know what it is for you. But I'm thankful that when God says he's going to do something, he does it. It is going to happen. You can count on it without fail. No questions asked. His word is good. It's solid. It's perfect. And here in this passage, we see his word, that the scriptures are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Malachi, there, through the 39 books of the Old Testament, there are 300 prophecies Detailing the coming of the anointed one, the anointed one, the coming of King Jesus. And I want you to see that in this passage, that there are a few prophecies that are fulfilled. And I want to look at each one. I want to help us see that Jesus is not just another guy that died on the cross along with these other two. But what Jesus was doing when he said it is finished is completing and fulfilling what the scriptures talk about. Look again with me at verses 23 through 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic, which was um, just a long undergarment. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and And for my clothing, they cast lots. Again, crucifixion was the most humiliating thing that could happen. And that is what the ancient notion intended it to be. Strip them of their clothing. Hang them on a cross to suffer. Humiliate them in their shame. And this is what was prophesied in Psalm 22, 18, that they cast lots for Jesus' clothing. And it's not like the Roman soldiers we're sitting there like, yeah, we know the Psalms, we know the Bible. Yep, we've got to do this to fulfill the scripture. No, 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 no. Listen, John wants us to see that this, there is no accident in history. Jesus was fulfilling the purpose he came to this earth for. Church, you see this language in this passage. This was to fulfill the scripture. This was to fulfill the scripture. I want to see it. We'll see it again. And I want to skip, skip down to verses 31 through 37. It says, since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken 
and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the, the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it was born, has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. They will look on him whom they have pierced. And so because it was the day of preparation, the next day, and the next day was the Sabbath, the Jews knew that they could not leave these guys hanging on the cross because if they did, they would have broken a law and they would have defiled the land. And so the Jews asked Pilate, hey, break their legs so they die and we can get them down quicker. Break their legs so they can't push themselves up and breathe so that it would die a much quicker death by suffocation. And even in this moment, it reveals the, the heart of the Pharisee. They're more concerned about the purity of their feast and their party. They didn't want to be guilty of, guilty of violating an Old Testament law that said that the men could not hang on the, the bodies hanging on the cross overnight on the preparation day. That was, not a, that was not a good thing. But do you see how sick and twisted this is? The one the feast and the party was established for in the first place is the very one that they're murdering on the cross. And I wonder, and I want to ask this again tonight, how many of us are like the Pharisees coming in here tonight? And saying, you know what, I'm more concerned. Are you more concerned with the style of music? With the clothes that are being worn? Are you more concerned with the things that you're doing so you can get attention and be, prop yourself up in front of others? Or are you remembering the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you looking to the only one who can save you from your sin? The one who paid the debt in full and finished the work on this earth, on the cross? Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith? Or are you fixing your eyes on a religious system or structure or motive to make the cross about you? See, this passage goes on to say that the the soldiers did break the legs of the two men who were crucified on either side of Jesus, but when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. And I read in all the other accounts of the Gospels this week, the, the accounts of the crucifixion, it was interesting. Because in one of the accounts, it says Pilate was surprised. He was surprised that Jesus was already dead. Why was he surprised? Because the crucifixion was actually supposed to be a lengthy process. It was supposed to last much longer than it actually did with Jesus. But Jesus gave up his life. And with the Sabbath being the next day, they had to break the legs. But it's just further evidence that God's sovereign hand is at work in this, in the crucifixion, in the death of Jesus. Even in the details of the ways that Jesus died. And we see here again, two more prophecies fulfilled. One from Psalm 34, 20, that says, Not one of his bones will be broken. And the other from Zechariah 12, chapter 12, verse 10, that his body would be pierced. And the soldiers most likely came upon his body thinking, okay, is he really dead? There's no way. These other guys are still alive. But he's, 
He's, he's there lifeless. But let's just make sure. Let's stab him with the, with the spear. But I want to remind you, this is no accident. And John feels like he has to defend himself here in this passage. He says, look, I was there. I saw it. And what I'm saying is it's testifying, testifying to you that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the scriptures. He's saying, you've got to believe this. Look at this amazing story. Look at what Jesus has done. This is the truth. Jesus has fulfilled the scriptures through his death. And all along they were pointing to him. Don't miss this. Believe in this Jesus who was crucified to fulfill his purpose, to reconcile us back to God, to make himself available to all who would believe in him, to repent, to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross. And listen, church, this is good news. This is good news for us. This is why we celebrate Good Friday, is that our faith is not based on some fairy tale, some manufactured stories, some emotional experience that we've mustered up on our own. No, John is not trying to pull on the heartstrings of the people here in this passage. What he's doing is simply stating, plainly stating the facts about Jesus Christ. That this is part of history. No one denies that Jesus actually died on the cross. What people love to argue is the resurrection. And that's what we're going to hear about this weekend. But this crucifixion is historical. It's factual. And our faith stands on thousands of years of God fulfilling his purpose to demonstrate his love to us. That even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, canceling the record of sin. He paid the debt. The last couple of verses I want to look at tonight, verses 28 through 30. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, Jesus was concerned about his purpose. Listen, the significance of his entire life came down to this moment. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he wasn't saying, hey, my life's over. No, 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 no. He's saying, my mission is accomplished. It is complete. And the Greek word used here twice in just these two verses is the word to telestai. And it means that it's an action that's been totally completed. This word was also a word that was stamped on a purchase or written down on a receipt to telestai, meaning it's been paid in full. What Jesus is saying here is that the payment of your sin has been paid in full. He's saying, I finished what I came to do. I finished this to fulfill the scripture. I finished this. I've done it all. I drank the cup of my father's wrath. I bore the weight of the sin of the world. The sin debt of my people has been paid in full. It says that Jesus knew. He knew that it was finished. And then he declared with his mouth in a loud voice, it is finished. And what's amazing about all of this is that this was God's will and his plan from the very beginning. To step out of heaven to send his son Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. 
And Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for us. John 10, 17, Jesus said this. I lay down my life that I might take it up again. City Light Church, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, it's, it's paramount. It is central to all that we are and all that we do as Christians, as Christ followers. Jesus laid down his life so we don't have to be separated from God. So that we can experience forgiveness. So that we can experience eternal life. So that we can have heaven forever. See, he conquered sin, death, and Satan at the cross. Completing the work that he came to do. And would we not see tonight as just another Good Friday gathering. But a moment to reflect. A moment to remember. A moment to rejoice in the God of the universe who loved us so much that he, he prayed the price. He sent his one and only son for us. And that should, that should have been us on that cross. That is the death we deserve because of our sinful condition. But God has drawn near to us through the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And we can have confidence that Jesus finished the work he came to do, that he is at the right hand of the Father, of, Father right now, interceding for us as a mediator, giving us access to the Father. And so tonight, remember the cross. Remember that Jesus is King. Remember that Jesus fulfilled his purpose on the cross. It is finished. And City Light Church, the beauty of all of this is that God created us for relationships. He created us for purpose. He's wired us for worship. But we can't find any of those things in false idols or false hopes. Relationships, purpose, worship, that's only found. True hope is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And maybe you've come in here and you've experienced broken promises. Maybe you've come in here and you've experienced pain and hardship. And it's hard for you to trust. But I want to say this. Even as God has control of every detail of Jesus' life on the cross, he has control of every detail of your life. And listen, if God is sovereign over Jesus' life, his entire life, everything, the moment he went up to the cross, the very details of the cross, you can trust the details of your life to him, even the painful ones, trusting that they're adding up to something glorious that you might not even be able to see right now. And maybe you're here tonight questioning your purpose, questioning your eternity. You've never trusted in the finished work of the cross. You've never trusted in this King Jesus But listen, this is no accident that you are here tonight. God is sovereign over that too. And tonight I would simply invite you to give God your brokenness. Place your faith in him. Trust in him and know that he paid the debt in full. He paid for your sin. Past, present, and future on the cross. And he wants you to experience his grace. He wants you to experience his mercy. He wants you to experience His amazing love tonight. So City Light Church, we can believe these truths with conviction in our hearts, knowing that Jesus, what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. He did what we can never do for ourselves. So let's praise him tonight.
for being obedient to death, even death on a cross. What an amazing love. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we transition to a time of communion? Well, Father God, we do thank you. You are so good and gracious and loving. And we can't even ever ever understand the depth and the, the height and the breadth of your love that you demonstrated on the cross for us. God, we are so thankful that you stepped out of heaven, that you sent your one and only son, and he walked up that hill to Calvary. And he was crucified on a cross for us so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could be reconciled back to you. God, we are unworthy, and we don't deserve it. And yet you have loved us with an incredible love. And so we praise you tonight, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.